The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program, the pre-Thanksgiving edition. And uh, joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes, on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome to the show. Good morning. Happy, happy day before Thanksgiving. And joining us uh, a little late today is, uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. He called me uh, a couple of days ago and let me know that he had a conflict that was going to overlap and, and that he would join us uh, in progress a little later in the show. And then, uh, as can happen sometimes uh, to to a live radio show, especially one the day before a holiday. 
I had uh, scheduled someone for the third chair who had to cancel at the last minute, and I reached out to the only other person I thought I could get on very short notice. This was just this morning before the show started, and and wasn't able to connect. So, as has happened in the past, and and is happening once again, <laughs> it's going to be just me and Paul for a little while. Starting, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll do our best to carry the ball. <laughs> well, we will indeed. Although. Before we start the quotes, I thought maybe we'd take just a minute, Paul, and uh, and and hear a little excerpt. This is uh, a quote of a different kind. Section 1-603, forfeiture of office and removal for cause. A, except for the ombuds person who serves at the will of the Ethics and Accountability Board and the city attorney, the city council shall declare the forfeiture of office of any elected official or appointee and may remove for cause any person appointed to an office for a fixed term. In every case, there shall be a public hearing before the council with public notice published in the manner set forth in this charter. A city council member charged with conduct constituting grounds for forfeiture may not participate in the resolution of the charge. <laughs> I'm sure you recognize that voice. That was uh, a clip from the audio version of Flint's city charter as recorded. That's got to be Terry Banker's voice, right? That was Terry Banker who passed away a little over a week ago. Yeah. I was going I I had that that soundbite prepared for last week, Paul, but I really hadn't seen anything definitive or that I felt was uh, authoritative that he had in fact passed away and I, I I didn't want to take the chance that it was uh, um, a prank of some sort. Ah, uh, yeah. Sometimes on Facebook you can see those things. <laughs> I know what you're saying. I, I saw the same fo- same posting, and I, as, you, as you say, it wasn't that official. So that's probably wise. But Terry will be missed. Yeah, he was a good friend, and I, I knew him for a long time. And it was it was it was. It's a lot of fun to put that together, and maybe the, the new city council ought to get copies of that somewhere along the way. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think the new city council seems to be behaving pretty well, outside yeah. of a couple little startup glitches. Uh, you know, I, I it's it's something we're going to be watching for sure. That's true. Yeah, at least the first meeting that I pulled up, I saw most of it. It was uh, much more organized and civilized than most of their meetings so let's hope that's a sign of a good sign for the future somewhere along the way well and i will and i will throw in uh, another plug for that uh, audio flint city charter it was recorded by uh, me and and paul and charles winfrey as well as terry banker we took turns reading parts we did it live for the radio show and then i edited it down to um a three-disc set, and it's the entire Flint City Charter, the audio version, and I have several copies of that available if you want it just to better understand the Flint City Charter, um, or even, you know, if you just, if you just want a recording of Terry Banker, if you're, <laughs> that's right, I, I no, mean, I think for sentimental we... reasons. Do we spend what three days recording that? I'm trying to recall how long, how much time we spent on that. But it was, I think we it was did several it, days. We did it over 
I think it was two different days. It was yeah, uh, um, and and we were doing. Did we pre? No, I think we did it live. We did it live on the air in two, you know, two different shows. I think so. Yeah, yeah. and then I took the recordings of both of those shows and edited it all down to where it fit onto to three CDs. So I have three CD disc sets of uh, of that available if anybody's interested I, anyway i just i thought i'd bring it up and and terry um you know was an alumni of armchair politics he appeared several times on the panel and uh in fact he may have been a, a regular at one time for a while and he was on the show several times to talk about different things. And, and he was the ombudsman for for some years too. As I well, and, and he also uh, spent some time as Flint City Clerk. That oh, that's, that's also true. That's right. That's right. In and fact, he he was chair of the Democratic Party for a while. Yeah, that's also right. And in fact, I think he ran for city council one time too. If I'm not mistaken. I think you're right about that. Yeah, I think you're right about that. In fact, I think he may have ran against Jim Ananick. Yeah, yeah. That was a tough race because there were some really good people. That's true. In that, I, recall, I think I recall that In race. the seventh yeah. ward, there were several good candidates. And, uh, in fact, I think, uh, didn't Lee, no, Lee Gonzalez wouldn't have been in that ward. No, no, I don't think so. I know he ran against Jim Ananick later. Yeah, for that's state right. state house, but... But yeah. anyway, I, I I just wanted to remember Terry. Um, like I said, I was I was on track to do this last week, but I, I just wasn't that sure of my facts, and I I didn't want to participate in something that may have been a hoax. But it it was not, sadly. And that's true. Yeah, I I knew Terry had been ill for a while, and I, but I did not know. That he had taken a turn for the worse in the last couple of weeks. So it, it well, is and and I and I guess he his ailment it was a, a brain cancer or something, and it it blinded him toward the end. It, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know any of that was going on, which is fine and as it should be. Paul, as you know, I had some health concerns of my own a year ago. And True. The, and and everything went fine and and all of that, but I kept it very quiet because it sounded bad. And I I, I remember I think I've told you and others that I didn't want to read my obituary on Facebook. <laughs> that that's a danger when you when that word gets out. And and so many of those things. I mean, frankly, I'm I'm kind of the same way. You just don't feel like sharing those things in public in many ways. So well, I, I understand I, entirely. I, I I don't I, I don't feel a diagnosis is the whole story, you know. I, That's right. I, I like to hold That's back right. until we see the outcome. Yeah. And uh, I think Terry was that way, and that's why it 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 seemed to come up almost out of nowhere. Yeah, I think I'm just trying to think. The last time I saw Terry, I think it was probably at a at a Democratic Party meeting where we often sat at the same table. Uh, this is all before the pandemic. And that may be the last time I think I saw him in person, probably. So, and he was he was just fine then. Uh, so, it's too bad. Yeah, it is, and and he will he will be missed. Very definitely, very definitely, without a doubt. And um, and and you know his 
his observations would be so much fun to have and and uh, um, here going forward with the new council. He also, now we're talking about Terry, he had, I think, one of the most unique uh, lawyers, attorneys' logos around as a divorce lawyer was dumpmyspouse.com that he, he used for his lawyer's office. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he set up that, that website and did billboards all over town. Right, right. <laughs> Well, he had a great sense of humor and uh, a great sense of community. And, he did. And yeah, there, there were very few causes he was not involved in, and he made a big difference. He really did. Anyway, so. I'm, I'm glad we got to at least, you know, acknowledge his passing and his contributions uh, to the community and to this program. I, I I will miss it yeah. for sure. Now, uh, we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. It's going to be just me and Paul for a while. I think Henry's going to join us uh, in progress um, a little bit into the show. But um, I, I, I'm going to follow our usual routine. But I think I'll open the phone lines up if uh, anybody wants to join the conversation today. We haven't done that in a long time because usually there's so many people that need a turn at the mic, you know, that adding phone calls. Right, yeah, no, if people want to call in, that would be great today. That's and great. and that number is 810-339-8255. And uh, that would give me a chance to thank some people for tuning in and participating um, on this uh, Thanksgiving Eve. But we always start with some quotes. The first one is, finish the quote. I think we've got time before we go to break to squeeze this in real quick. Um this is where I ask, how would you finish this quote? And it goes like this. I am grateful for what I am and have. My Thanksgiving is what? How would you finish mm. this quote? Gee, that's a good one. I'm, my Thanksgiving is uh, is all-encompassing or something like that. I, I, I'm just, I don't know where to go with that one. It's a good quote. Uh, yeah, it's and it's an interesting quote. It's uh, and I'll I'll read the whole quote. The original quote is, "I am grateful for what I am and have. My Thanksgiving is perpetual." Ah, uh, and then you know who that's from? No, I don't. I'm just trying to think of any possibilities here. Henry David uh, Thoreau. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I jumped outside the world of politics a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I do that occasionally. But um, it was just that's a good. A, that's a good Thanksgiving quote. It really is. That's that's what I thought. I, I wanted to get something in. I also want to mention that I have um, a, a great guest on the show tomorrow in the first hour. So you know, maybe if you're doing one of those all day uh, turkeys, <laughs> you get the thing started. <laughs> cooking, tune in. You might want to tune in the first hour of the show. Um, I have the author of. Uh, a book about Thanksgiving. Um, she is the uh, former. Oh, let me see if I got my notes close enough to look at it. Uh, yeah, the book is called Thanksgiving: The Holiday at the Heart of the American Experience, and it's by uh, the former deputy editor of the opinion page at the Wall Street Journal. Um, oh shoot, where is it? Uh, Melanie Kirkpatrick. And hmm. we'll open the show with that tomorrow. So we're, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more. Sounds good. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our panel of uh, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left, and we're now joined by longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter, who had to step in uh, a little bit late this morning. But Henry, welcome. Thank you. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for uh, accepting me late today. <laughs> I'm usually on time. Thank you. Well, you're you're so reliable, Henry. That you know when you say you're going to be a few minutes late, I I can't. You know what? What <laughs> can I say? You know, I I just I appreciate you so much. Um, but uh, we had uh, in the last segment, Henry, we had paid a little tribute tribute to. Uh, Terry Bankert, and we hadn't really got going with the quotes. And and here's one of the quotes that uh, got my attention this week. The glorification of the suggestion of the killing of a colleague is completely unacceptable, and I think that it's a clear violation of House rules. I think it's a sad day. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez, I think. No. It was uh, oh, oh. Republican Representative Liz Cheney. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. She oh, broke okay. ranks along with fellow Republican Adam Kinzinger on Wednesday to join all Democrats in voting for a resolution that both censured Republican Representative Paul Gozer of Arizona and stripped him of his two committee assignments. The vote came after Gozer pasted um, a photoshopped anime video to his Twitter and Instagram accounts showing him appearing to kill Democratic Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New oh. York and attacking President Joe Biden. Gozer later took down the video after facing criticism but did not apologize. Um, was the House action appropriate? Um, I frankly, I do. I, I I'm yeah, sorry. I this is where I make a departure with the Republican Party. Uh, that well, kind of, but that not kind with Liz ugly. Cheney, Henry. <laughs> but no, no, not with Liz Cheney. I, I get Liz, Liz, Liz Cheney, Liz Cheney, Cheney some credit for but that. the, yeah. the rest of uh, us who believe in violence, and I'm against violence internal to the United States. I think that we got to correct that. None yeah, of us I, will ever be insane, and particularly all of the components that make up this country by race and gender and by uh, religion and stuff like that. We have got to come together. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we, uh, the politics has become so coarse and so bitter, and that this is only one recent example of it. But, I mean, censoring this is at least a small step in the right direction. Maybe at some point we can move beyond this kind of stuff because uh, there's really no excuse for that. Uh-oh. And and I don't and and I don't want to throw the right side of the aisle under the bus in this, uh, Paul, as you suggest. I I remember the that, um, so-called comedian. Uh, I know. Kathy yeah, I know Griffin what you're talking about with the severed head of uh, Donald right. Trump. And yeah. That there's no place for that. There's no place for no. it in Congress. There's no place for it in comedy, and there's no place for it in civil discourse. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine how I feel, for example, being an American, and people are throwing that kind of violence at each other, even without respect, right? It's just not good. 
not good for uh, people who follow the Constitution and people who believe that other people have a right to exist, stuff like that. I, I, I'm sorry for any party that practices that kind of... Uh, well, and it's especially tough when it's a member of Congress, whatever side of the aisle it's on. You know, in theory, we send people to Congress to represent us. That isn't what us had in mind. That's true. You know, I, I understand politics is a competitive game and all that, but like I say, there are limits. And again, it's really in some ways dangerous to this idea of democracy. If we get to the point where we don't trust anybody on the other side, this thing we call democracy just is not going to work at all. Uh, yeah, in any given election, one side wins, one side loses, and you move on beyond that at some point. But and you know, in, in 1789, they, uh, we had the same kind of sentiment because uh, uh, our uh, Secretary of the Treasury was killed uh, in a duel, and uh, we knew that uh, strong feelings existed, and they will always exist, but somehow we got to maintain some dignity and self-control. We're human beings. But one thing we found out through this kind of action, we know who the uh, predator is to man. He found himself. Well, here's another quote that got my attention this week. Um, Lay people who exercise some form of public authority have a special responsibility to embody church teaching in their service of the common good. Hmm. <clears throat> <laughs> who do you think uh, I, dropped that little nugget? I was trying to... I, I, that wasn't the Pope, was it? I don't think. I no, don't, but I, you're on the right track. It was yeah. uh, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. They oh. voted overwhelmingly Wednesday to approve a document that fell short of refusing Holy Communion to President Joe Biden or others who support abortion rights, something conservatives in the church have pushed for in spite of guidance from Pope Francis. The document, which passed with 222 in favor and eight against with three abstentions, would need Vatican approval before any action is taken that would directly target any elected official. But let's go back to the quote. Do public officials have a special responsibility to embody church teaching? I'm not so sure. I mean, in fact, I think there's a little, some, at some point you could say they should not be doing that. I mean, maybe some ideals, but, it, but the separation of church and state should mean something, I think, uh, when you get down to some of the details of church teachings. Yeah, because there were so many abuses back in the old days uh, during the Transformation. There were gross abuses by the church. Uh, they killed people. They sure. communicated people. Uh, they seized positions <laughs> of power and self-aggrandizement. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think... Uh, and the church was powerful. There was no power greater than the church in the I, 14th, 15th, and 16th centuries. I thought Barack Obama represented himself and the country and his party very well when, uh, this was a few years ago, when he spoke at Notre Dame, mm -hmm. in favor 
of reproductive rights for women, but in the same breath saying it should be legal but a lot less common. Yeah, I recall that presentation. Yeah. And I you know, he he expressed some sense of morality about the issue, but from a legal standpoint said, but we shouldn't you know, we shouldn't be making this illegal. And I I thought he represented himself and, and his party and the country pretty well when he did that. Yeah, and, as I say, and I to think a really interesting you, you, audience. You can take church ideas and try and incorporate them into law. That's, that's, that can get into the whole separation of church and state issue, which can be dangerous territory, um, both legally and otherwise. Well, let's move a little uh, closer to home. And Henry, I'm not sure what's going on, but it sounds like there's some wind or something. Uh, yeah, I'm hearing some kind of background noise. Yes, it's probably me because I, I was moving. Okay. And I apologize. I'm going to stop it. Now. No, no worries. Um, Mayor Sheldon Neely says he's ready to start spending $94.7 million in American Rescue, Rescue Plan Act funding but not without the capacity to handle compliance and outreach efforts tied to the windfall. Neely last week asked the city council to hire Ernst & Young to manage the federal funds at a cost of up to $3.9 million to make sure these dollars make it to the appropriate places and to make sure we are compliant with rules tied to the money. Council members instead sent the proposal back to its finance committee for further work and consideration, but members said they would consider holding a special meeting to restart the discussion before the committee meets again on December 8th. Um, could ARPA spending compliance be achieved in a less expensive way by hiring maybe a single expert to oversee the implementation of projects that use these funds? I, when I saw that story, that was what I thought, too. And, or, or, or the other thought I had was, could we do it in-house? Don't we have... Uh, well, fact, several we people have suggested that, including newly elected uh, city council Rob, member... Uh, Rob Whittigan. Steve, was, uh, Steve Barber. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. That's was right. it... Wait, now, wait a minute. Was it Steve Barber? No, he ran against... Um, uh, uh, where, 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 Eva Worthing. We're Worthing, yeah. So it must have been one of the others. Um, but, yeah, that, that's been suggested by council members and other interested parties that, you know, that the um, uh, finance department at the city could oversee that. But if, if someone felt that we really needed an independent auditor-type person in that role, why not just hire, you know, an expert at, Sixty or eighty thousand dollars to oversee yeah. that spending for a year or whatever, and not not nearly four million dollars. Yeah, yeah. When I saw that amount, I was surprised. I mean, yeah, unless they're working, I, I, unless they're working I think, on commission or something. I think that has the uh, tenor of growing government. You're uh, you're right. When you hire at that rate and you hire a platoon of people uh, to do the work that one person can do and save the state money, 
that would be the wisest thing. And remember, the earlier framers of the Constitution wanted to keep governments small and uh, not expand it into a bureaucratic type of organization. And I think, but I think the reason uh, that maybe the mayor is looking at that is because people in general have a dislike and disdain of government. I mean, you know, you need to move away 20 miles away to find somebody that's clean, if you can find them. Well, yeah, I, well, in fact, one other thought I have, Henry, I wonder if, if they're, they're thinking of hiring this, this, this group because of the friction between the mayor and the council. I mean, that could be. Well, they don't trust each other very much on so many things. Yes. Uh, I wonder if that's a factor. Uh, we, we, uh, that probably needs to be cleaned up with the mayor and the council work uh, together. They can be confrontational, feel, as governments, uh, democracies are intended to be, but they don't have to be uh, that uh, uh, that separated and that, uh, uh, with that kind of dislike between each other, yeah. where they can't work well for the cause of the people. And the danger is if, if they don't work together, they could end up losing some of those funds to begin with. I think that's happened in the past, where they yeah. missed deadlines and, and in a sense lost some of the funds because of their failure to cooperate. I think the mayor should use a pilot test. But, you know, uh, draw it up and uh, see what happens. And well, I was just thinking, you know, there, there must be a, a retired auditor or, uh, you know, someone who has... Uh, the appropriate credentials and, and credibility to act in that role as kind of a uh, uh, quality management czar for the spending of uh, those that ARPA money. I'm just thinking now, what, what was the amount again, Tom? Uh, that, was it 90 million? Yeah, 947 yeah, $94.7 million. Yeah. Well, and you know what I was thinking? I mean, that's that's approximately, I think it's a little larger, but isn't that approximately the size of the the city budget for a year? And the city the city deals with that budget every year, I presume, with some success, I hope. Well, but the concern is, and, and this is why maybe they, they want to err on the side of caution with regard to oversight, is that... Flint citizens have been told that money raised through millages and other things were going to go one place, and they went somewhere else. Yeah, uh, that's true. And that's so true. I, I think there's there's a sense that you know that outside oversight might be an appropriate step to take, but I wonder if hiring a firm is, you know, buying a five hundred dollar hammer. <laughs> right. Yeah, it just seemed like a fairly pricey thing to oversee. I mean, it's a substantial program, but again, it's basically a an annual budget, or about the, roughly the size of the annual budget. So, is that that's new money, isn't it? That that money's not based on a tax base, is it? A local well, tax base. You know, it's not if, local. If you trace it all the way back, it is. It's all the same money, but right. Um, but no, it's that's uh, part of the. Um, uh, it's a one-time expenditure, isn't it? These are federal yeah. funds, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's federal, federal fund, one money. It's, it's part they of that. they got to get it right. They only have one chance to get it right. Yeah, it's part of that uh, post-pandemic uh, aid package. It's not Build Back Better, but the other one, the one that already yeah. passed. 
and they they cannot use the money for things that are not related to uh, that specific purpose. Well, there yeah, you know, there, there, there are, are some categories where it's got to be spent. I believe. Yeah, there are suggestions <laughs> and guidelines. I'm sure, and that's what they want to do is put someone in charge of making sure that those requirements are met. Can you imagine that the governor of Utah spent COVID money for salaries? And we've, we warned them about that. Don't try it. Well, we saw what happened out in Shiawassee County, (laughs) (laughs) you know, a while back with some of that money. Yeah. You got to be careful. Commissioners. Yes. It's been the run money correctly. Well, a story we've been watching for at least a couple of weeks. The chairman of the county Republican Party has admitted to making a harassing phone call during which his victim Mm. says he threatened to kill her dogs, pleading guilty on Monday, November 22nd to malicious use of a telephone. Matthew Smith, 24, who also serves as a member of the Davison Board of Education, entered his plea before Genesee District Court Judge William Crawford, who is scheduled to sentence him on January 11th for the misdemeanor, which carries a maximum penalty of a $1,000 fine and up to six months in jail. In exchange for his plea, prosecutors said they would not object to Smith being sentenced under the guidelines of the Holmes Youthful Trainee Act, the law is intended to help young offenders avoid the stigma of a criminal conviction, and in the vast majority of such cases, individuals plead guilty, are put on probation, and if they avoid more trouble, any record of their criminal conduct is expunged. Crawford still must decide whether Smith, who was 23 at the time he made that phone call, receives this special consideration. Is uh, the HYTA appropriate in this case? Hmm. I don't know. He's 23 years old, not exactly a kid, but still very young, as by most measures. I don't know. Uh, my thought was, as, as you read through that, it said, I, it sounds to me like he got a pretty decent deal on the plea bargain. And my guess is his attorney took a look at the facts and advised him to take the plea bargain because the other option might have been much, much worse if he'd gone to, gone to some kind of trial. And, yeah, you know, uh, I think uh, he lost a lot there. Oh, only God forgives, but people don't. They, will, they carry that stigma with them no matter how this comes out. Well, it's uh, added some momentum to his recall effort or the recall effort against him and his seat on the Davison board. Yeah, I, I, I see Facebook posts on that increasing in the last couple of last week or so. Well, just just in the last you know little bit of times, I, I don't know, a couple of days or so, um, I, I hear there's. Uh, 500 signatures, something like 14% of what they, of the 3,000 they need. Um, But it seems to be picking up steam. I I don't know. We'll see. It sounds like this this plea deal was designed to protect him from this being part of his record down the road um, because he has, you know, uh, political ambitions beyond the school board and Right, chairing the the GOP here in Genesee County. Yeah, you know, he's run for the county board of commissioners already once, I think, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, last last time around. And yeah, it, maybe a few it, other things too. 
Henry may know more more detail. But yeah, and, he's been pretty active know, for 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 a young guy. He's been yeah. very very active. I remember when he was in high school. He was very intelligent, very well spoken, knowledgeable, and knew processes and procedures about the Republican Party. But uh, <clears throat> you know, sometimes uh, young people can be too ambitious too early, and. Uh, and I, I, I regret that this happened to Matthew, and I wish him well. And uh, but still, there's a uh, there's a protocol and standards that people who run for public office ought to aspire to, even though they never reach the threshold. They are somewhere under there, and they need to make sure that they are uh, living the way most people in the community expect them to live under the dome curve, the ideal. Under the dome curve, there's an ideal way that people will accept. There are things that they will accept to, to do. And I hope that he can overcome the uh, fallout behind us. Because he's say, not Henry, a bad guy. Whatever happens with the recall, will all of this cost him the Republican chairmanship, you think? Or is it causing trouble within the Republican Party for him? Well, you know, inside, anytime you have an argument inside of a group, there are always opposition. People want to rise up. So far, it, so far, it seems like his colleagues um, at the GOP here in Genesee County seem to be having his back and giving him a pass on this. Yes. His colleagues yes. on the Davison board, not so much. You know, see, that's, that's it. Uh, people, when they find you vulnerable, there's somebody that will rise up against you, either within the party or outside of it. It's just that even while you are holding office, there's always someone standing in line to take your place. So, uh, I, uh, you know, we'll see. I wish Matt well, and and I've always supported Matt. Um, and uh, But I'm concerned about... Uh, the stigma that he picks up uh, uh, in this. And we can never become a dominant party in Genesee County if we don't rise above the fray of well, he's being mediocre. He, he's eventually going to have to answer for the fact that he denied any culpability and then turned around and entered a guilty plea. Now, if that's a legal maneuver, you know, and, and there's an explanation for it, he needs to have that explanation at the ready. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And, and I was going to say, didn't he didn't he change attorneys as kind of the last minute? Didn't his previous yes. attorney bail out for, for whatever reason? I don't know. But I wonder if that wasn't a factor there. I don't know the details, but I do know that he did change his attorney. Yeah. But there are many people who loved Matthew Smith. They just loved him because of his talent, his ability to to speak his position, the authority, and to gather people around him, and to convince people of a direction that they needed to go to accomplish common goals. 
Well, on that note, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with more Armchair Politics on today's Thanksgiving Eve edition of the Tom Sumner Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. 
Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues today on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right. Our third chair is vacant today. We had a uh, last-minute cancellation, and being the day before a holiday, I wasn't able to fill that spot at the last minute. But uh, we've, we've done this before, haven't we, gentlemen? That's true. Yes. Uh, That's true. Uh, Tom, can I just uh, add to a comment? Uh, I was just thinking about something. I sub- just use one second to do this. Sure. But, uh, you know, I, um, Matthew Smith faces the same kind of dilemma that our Attorney General faces as the head of the our legal department there. Oh, good point. And uh, yeah. so... Um, I think it just shows you how vulnerable people are in those positions, and they need to take caution to make sure when you're in doubt, exercise caution. Don't go there. Uh, Because we're all very vulnerable to human beings. We make mistakes, and uh, people look at us, and there are arguments that can be made that they're ugly mistakes. And uh, I hope that this is a learning uh, experience for Matthew Smith, as well as our Attorney General. That's a good point, Henry. And I, I think the, I think the public and the voters are, are somewhat forgiving when people do come clean when they say, you know, I did something really dumb. Again, whether it's the Attorney General or Matthew Smith, you know that uh, we all do dumb things occasionally. And but if if you admit it rather than deny it endlessly, I think there's a a little bit of of generosity and forgiveness in the hearts of at least most voters much of the time. Yeah. Well, I I, I think he's going to have to, um, you know, address his flip in the future. And, yeah, that's true. And, and he's <laughs> that, that, that's where there's, I think, a contrast with the attorney general who did say, "Yeah, I had too much to drink at the football game, and I shouldn't have done it," and so forth and so on. But um, that's what we all do impulsively when we're caught in these situations. We tend to protect ourselves. And, yeah. and I'm saying, I think, I think people will, you know, will allow for an explanation, but there needs to be one, and it needs to be a pretty good one, you know, as he goes yeah. forward with his political career. I, I, I'm just, yeah. that's actually just a little advice to Matthew yeah. for free from the Tom Sumner program. <laughs> um, Thank you. But here's something that's uh, just kind of out of the realm of politics a little bit, but something that caught my attention. And I, I thought maybe we'd take a few minutes and talk about this, and I have a personal reason for doing that. The last remaining Kmart in Michigan is closing this weekend, ending uh-huh. 59 years of business in the company's home state. The Marshall location on uh, Michigan Avenue is expected to close Sunday. Um 
according to Marshall City Manager Tom Tarkowitz, Kmart has deep roots in Michigan going back to 1899 when Sebastian Kresge opened a five-and-dime store in downtown Detroit, according to the company's website. The Kresge Company discount stores ex, uh, expanded for decades until the company pivoted to operating department stores. The first Kmart store opened in Garden City, Michigan in 1962. Within four years, the discount big box store was operating 162 locations across the U.S. At its peak, Kmart operated about 2,500 locations worldwide. The reason that I brought this up is I remember as a young boy when Kmart <coughs> first opened up in Flint. And my dad, who had a background in public relations and, and communications, he thought Kmart was the coolest idea he'd ever seen. <laughs> he used to make excuses to go there in the evenings because at that time and I don't know if people remember this or how significant Kmart was in bringing this change about stores closed at five o'clock you know all the downtown oh, stores all yeah, of the you know yeah. department stores everybody closed at five except the banks they closed at four but um, everything was shut down by five o'clock then Kmart came along with these hours till, you know, 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. My dad thought that was the absolute most brilliant marketing strategy he'd ever seen. <laughs> and, he'd, and like I say, he would, he would find reasons to just go there and browse. Oh, yeah, I, I recall uh, we would, my wife and I, when it first came to Flint, we would go to uh, one of the various Kmarts over on Dort Highway and have... Uh, popping popcorn and wait for the blue eye specials and they were all over the place yeah anyway i guess the question is did kmart become obsolete hmm. they had tremendous uh, competition from other people who saw all of the opportunities from big box stores uh we were buying in growth and tanks and from foreign markets and they were cheap and you could put them on the marketplace, and they would sell like crazy. And uh, so, uh, and that kind of parasitic attitude found within businesses continued to grow. Uh, one company would come in, and soon there were others who could do the same kind of marketing better. Yeah, the Walmarts like, and the and yeah, the, the like Walmart. Costos all came in and p picked up the same turf in many ways. Yes. <laughs> so, well, it, it, the life expectancy of what we see within Walmart now and uh, Menards and some of those may be, may be short-lived. <clears throat> That's true. As, as Tom was talking, I'm thinking about some of the major names that we thought would be for on, around forever when I was a kid. I mean, Sears was one of the major outlets around, and now it's essentially gone. Same with Kmart. And so many other, you know, brand names. I recall a Woolco store out at, at Cortland Center. They're long gone. Uh, and so many but others. But pennies. Pennies continue they're, to uh, They're still survive. there. They're still yeah. there. That's right. That's right. Um, I didn't think uh, uh, Sears would ever go out of business. Yeah, same here. 
same here. I recall as, a, as we get into the holiday season, I recall getting the, the Sears Christmas catalog as a kid, and you'd always use that to make out your wish list for what you wanted for Christmas. And, you know, technology has a lot to do with us, I believe. People were learning new things with technology, how to market, how to keep track of inventory, how to uh, uh, deter theft and stuff like that. So uh, the the growth curve was an automatic one. Yeah. And with the pandemic, we're learning that, I mean, the Amazons of the world and other mail, mail order operations may be taking over some of the, uh, the standard uh, big box stores that we've gotten used to. Well, I'm going to try and uh, work our way back to politics here, um, and we've got a break coming up in about three and a half minutes. Detroit area businessman Kevin Rinke has uh, placed a $226,000 cable and broadcast TV ad buy as he is apparently launching his Republican campaign for governor of Michigan, a blog that reports on political advertising reported this Friday. Uh, Rinke of, uh, I think that's how you say his name, uh, of Oakland County formed what he called an exploratory committee to run for governor September 10th, but reported no money raised or spent in a campaign finance report filed October 25th. The blog Ad Impact Politics tweeted about Rinky's ad by Friday saying he is launching his bid for Michigan governor. The three broadcast TV stations in Detroit had not yet reported purchases by his campaign in their FCC files as of uh, Friday afternoon, but it is not unusual for ad industry sources to report such purchases before they are on file with the FCC. Rinky and his family have owned and operated auto dealerships in the Detroit area. Is uh, is a car salesman a good choice for governor of Michigan? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we elected one mayor of Flint. I don't know. <laughs> it depends on whether it's a used car salesman. Well, yeah. and, and, you know, all kidding aside, you could have asked the same question about George Romney. That's true. That's exactly true, yeah. Uh, yes. It looks like there's going to be a wide-open Republican primary, though. I mean, is this is Rinky the 11th person to to announce? I thought I I'm not sure. I, yeah. I'm not sure what the total is, but I've seen several names. 11 sounds right, Paul. Yeah. I think I saw that number somewhere in some story, that he's the we 11th. Got some women in that. we got some women in that as well. You're right, right. Yes. So it could be could be a could be a wide open primary. I'm guessing. I, I'm yeah. not sure. Uh, and all the way up and down the ballot too. I think. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, and for a number of different reasons, and and one of them we're going to get we're going to get to uh, when we come back for the second half. We got about a minute and a half till we have to break for ID. Um, you know, I'll be looking for the change in sentiment. Are we going to get better as a people to survive uh, that that will allow democracy to survive uh, the way that we interpret democracy, democracy today, or will it continue to decline? That depends on what is offered by new candidates uh, breaking um, new surface areas. So that's going to be interesting for me. Yeah, whether or not there's trust in the system in many ways. It's been, it's been eroded for so many reasons in recent years. It'll be worth seeing if the 
the next election, whether it's both statewide or nationwide, is is a move to restore some really genuine trust in both the electoral system and really the overall uh, political system, too. And this is going to be an interesting time because there are going to be some new candidates, there are going to be some new districts, and yeah. uh, I, I think maybe if some of these candidates can get people to trust them enough to vote for them, maybe they stand a chance of hanging on to that trust once they get in office. But we'll find out, and we're going to talk some more about that after we uh, break for show ID. And uh, we'll be back with the second half of today's edition of Armchair Politics. Hi, I'm Alexander Zajic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 